This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Joe Bevilacqua and New Chapel in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For more information, please visit newchapel.com. Well, good morning, gang. It's so good to see everybody on a sunny Sunday morning in Grand Rapids. Uh, I'm telling you, every time you come to church, it's going to be a sunny Sunday. I'm, I'm just I'm putting it out there uh, or your money back. Uh, my name is Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here at New Chapel. Welcome to the third part of our Brazen Jesus. It's a series really trying to describe who Jesus is in our life and what we can draw because we're, we're called Christians. We're, we're called by God to be like him, and I think that we have misinterpretations about how he is. I loved last week, and if you missed it, go to newchapel.com watch and trek with that message we showed in a clear way that anybody could understand how Jesus is love for sure, and how he expresses himself is with mercy or grace and truth. And there's a balance of all of that. He's not just buddy Jesus with rainbows and unicorns and free hugs, okay? Like, he loves you, but he's also a dad, and he wants you to be the best you can possibly be, and he's going to challenge you to do incredible things in this life. Jesus was brazen. He flipped tables and changed minds. And God has a calling on his kids, and that calling is to triumph. Today, I want to take a a little bit of your time and talk about um, trials, temptation, hardship, attack that we face, and really how we as Christians can overcome and do it in a way that's in the disposition of Jesus, how we can act like him and win. And there's a mechanism I'm going to show you that's in the Bible It's right there. If you've read these scriptures before, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I never saw it, but it was there. When you work this mechanism, it's actually not something that just makes it so you can come out on the other end all right. It's so that you can win no matter what opposition comes against you. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, I will say, most of my messages, they're so sweet. I got three points, little check marks, you know, and then I got three little points you can write down. People are screenshotting it. Today is a little bit more of Pastor Joe getting his preach on, if that's even a thing. And so uh, I need your help a little bit. Like I was taught down in the South, okay? So y'all got to talk back at me a little bit, and we'll see if we can take some ground together. James, if you would, James chapter 1. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now Mary didn't stay a virgin forever. When she had Jesus, she was married to Joseph, and they consummated and had several children, one of which was James. We don't see him at the crucifixion, and we also, uh, we know from, from a tradition, we should say, that he probably accepted Christ after Jesus rose from the dead, which is okay. How much faith would it take from you to believe that your brother's the Messiah, okay? So it made James a little bit curt, and I like the book of James because it's brass tacks. Look, this is what's wrong, this is how to fix it. Put your big boy pants on. Like, it doesn't say that. Pretty close. And, and so James, in chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this, Dear brothers and sisters, and that's as nice as it's going to get. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I'm going to jump down to verse 13. Remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God's doing it. God's never tempted anybody to do wrong, and, he tempt, uh, and he's never tempted anybody else. You know, in my time of ministry, I've talked to people down at the altars, And people have come with different problems they've had, big and small. And I'm not making light of any of those, but uh, people would would ask a question from time to time and say, "Is, is this meant to be, Pastor Joe? Is what I'm going through right now, is it meant to be? And and they're asking, is it it from God? 
Is he trying to teach me something? Is he trying to break my back a little bit, get some pride off my life? And, and I've heard preaching like that before. I grew up with a lot of that. But the reality is this. Meant to be is a useless theology. Tell that to the business owner who had a thriving business in 2019. And all the things that came against him and the shutdowns and the inability to do commerce. You tell him who's now selling his building right now that, that God's trying to teach him something. You go tell that to the couple who's going through a brutal divorce. They were going out together when they were high school kids and now they're in their 30s and they're fighting about who gets what. How about this? Tell it to their kid who has to suffer through all of it. Hey, this is meant to be. God's trying to humble you up. What? You tell that to the kid who's been molested and taken advantage of that God is trying to teach them something. Listen to me. Meant to be is a useless theology. It gets you nowhere. Bad things like that do not come from our God. Can I hear an amen? James 14, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. We, I can tell you right now that the trials and temptations that, that come into our life aren't from God because he's not trying to bring sin into your life. He doesn't want you to sin. And then death comes as a result of sin. Well, he, he came to give his life so that you could live. So it's so clear. Write it down. God does not have anything, anything to do with bringing trials or temptations to mankind. None of it. Now hear me, none. And I know I got quiet in the church house all of a sudden, but I can show you in the word. I, I can show you without fear of contradiction of the scripture. And we need to know that because God's goodness is what you need to rely on when you go through a trial. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, even though a trial or an attack or some opposition that you face might result in something good, something positive in your life or in your world, the origination of that issue did not come from God Almighty. And I talk to people at the altar and, and during the weeks and times in meetings, and they say, oh, Pastor Joe, listen, I'm so glad it came because I was far from God and it, it drew me back to God. That is awesome. And we'll talk a little bit about how God can, can leverage the things that we go through. But listen to me, he didn't bring that into your life. I'm going to tell you why. There's a, there's a thought out there that the most suffering people, that's a very holy thing, or people that go through poverty, that that's a holy thing, that it's some sort of attribute of great holiness. That makes no sense. Otherwise, we could go through all the world, let's find the most suffering person in the world, and they should, by all merit, if that's what God's using, be the most holy person in the world. How many of y'all know some very miserable people that are suffering? Yeah, they're not getting closer to God. That's not the mechanism that he uses. He has more effective tools in his tool belt. Say amen. Now, don't be deceived by this. Even right now, I'm looking at some of your faces. The Bible tells me not to, but I'm looking at some of your faces. And y'all are like, I don't know. It's so easy to be deceived. In fact, James 1.16 says it. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Look, I'm on your side. He's saying every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation. There's no variable. He's not making up his mind about this. He's made up his mind. There's no variation. No shadow of turning. You ever just, like, play sports or maybe like this? I, I was the last pick in dodgeball, but I was in the game, okay? And you can kind of see somebody in the corner of your eye. You can see him coming a little bit. You see their shadow before you see them. There is no inkling in God, no shadow of turning. He's on your side. 
and it's an incredible opportunity to be deceived. And many good people are because what happened? They, they found a way to find good within the hard thing that they were going through. But God didn't bring it into your life. He is the father of light, we just read. There's no darkness in him to give you. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's no premature birth, premature death. There's no virus. There's none of that junk. There's no poverty or lack in heaven to give you. And Jesus commanded you to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have to reconcile our beliefs with what the Bible says, not with what our tradition is. Amen? Help, help a brother out. Say amen, somebody. Well, somebody says, I think, I think God permits those troubles, though. Well, of course he permits it or it wasn't going to happen. He's God Almighty, right? But at the same time, his, his ability to allow something to happen doesn't mean that he actively gave permission for it to happen. Does that make sense? In other words, in the Garden of Eden, God created this whole world. You can read about that account in Romans 1, by the way, where God says he created everything and suffered it to futility. In other words, he's willing to believe the best of mankind. They had the opportunity to do it right. And he put that tree in there. They weren't supposed to eat from it in a temptationless environment. They chose to switch sides and they ate of the fruit. But think of it very critically. It's not that God is heavy or angry with anything like that. And it's not that he was trying to get them to do it, even though he suffered creation to futility and they made the decision. And so there is a permission, a general permission. Do you know what it's called? Man's free will. We can make decisions. Also at altar calls, I'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, Pastor Joe, like, why is this happening to me? I, I was on a good streak. I was doing good in my life and this just came in my lap. Why is it happening to me? And typically I don't answer. I'll tell you why. It's not a satisfying answer. If you start answering why something's happening, you're not really going to get into the real meat and potatoes like we will today, which is how to get through it. That's what you really need to know. But to satisfy your curiosity, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things, opposition, trials happen to our life? Three main reasons. Number one, you have a choice. You have free will. Mankind is a free will. You can do something that affects you negatively. Somebody else can do something negative that affects you negatively. And in the Garden of Eden, man made a decision. When he did that, the world fell. It's not in the condition that it was when God created it. And so we live in a fallen world. That's why we have hurricanes and tsunamis. That's why we have disease. That's why we have the virus. All of those things. That's why we have poverty and lack and hunger. The world in and of itself is operating kind of on a, on a, a based autopilot trying to remember what God made it to be, and it's struggling. It's struggling. Third reason is because the devil hates your guts. Not everything that, that's bad that happens to you is the devil actively attacking you. In fact, I think that I've only really faced off with him a couple times really in my life, and he had my attention. But typically, it's because we live in a fallen world, and I do dumb things, and you do dumb things, and people legislate dumb things. I had to. I just, I just got to. Okay. Got that out of my system. But see, I told you, it's not a satisfying answer, is it? Those are the reasons. Oh, God. well, you're still in your problem. What are you going to do? And that's the whole idea. Now, Jesus spoke to the condition that even Christians were going to live in this world. And I hope that I've never conveyed to you, even though I believe we can walk in victory, that there wouldn't be issues that we have to fight through, because there is. Jesus said it this way in John 16. In the world, you will have tribulation. There will be 
all kinds of things that will knock on your door. And it's so easy to take it personally and feel like, I don't know why this is hitting me. Anybody else in the room, when you're going through something, you feel like, why me? Why is it, why is it knocking at my door? Yeah, thank you for your honesty. Liars, all of you. We all feel that. Like, what? what? I just did it right. You know, I was just doing the right thing, and this is knocking at my door. What I've learned is this. When opposition comes and trials, temptations, when, when opponents fight you and they will, write it down. Facing a trial, temptation, pain, or difficulty is not a mark of failure. Write this down. Don't take a trial personally. Don't do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you except which is common to man. I remember when I first accepted Christ, I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to serve the Lord. But I remember having these awful thoughts come in my mind, all kinds of crazy things. And I remember it was kind of my, my custom. I'd go down to the lake and I'd pray. And the whole way down, I'd be thinking awful things, awful things about people, negative things, um, self-defeating things. And I remember thinking, I am such a weirdo. I am a mutant. I mean, if anybody saw my thoughts right now, they'd lock me up. Anybody else ever face thoughts like that? Yeah, again, liars. Thank you for those of you that are telling the truth. We, we have these crazy thoughts attack us and crazy temptations attack us and crazy things come against us. I remember facing opposition for the first time in my life. And I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a deep thinker. You might not know from Sunday morning. I'm, I'm fun up here on stage, but... But honestly, I'm a little recluse. I, I'm recharged by solitude. Um, I like to think about things in a critical way. And anyway, I remember trying to fight my thoughts with my thoughts. And it felt like that scene in Star Wars where they're having like a force battle with their hands or whatever. And I'm like, you know, like, Joe, your face looks like it's trying to attack itself. What's going on? You, you got some thoughts, you know. And, and, and the realization that I found was this. I'm thinking I'm the only one going through this stuff. I don't want to tell anybody about this junk. I want to tell, they're going to think I'm crazy. I mean, they're going, to, they're going to lock me up. This is nuts. And the devil was isolating me, holding me back. And what I didn't realize is everybody gets that knock at their door. If you're being tormented in your mind today, because of all of the different things, and what if, and, and you're overanalyzing everything. I'm telling you, that's not just natural, it's spiritual. And you can't control head your way through it. you got to externalize that thing. But realize this, it's not common. It's not common. Uh, Satan does not want you to communicate to other people. He doesn't want you to come to church. He doesn't want you to get in a group. He wants you to be isolated from everybody else and try to go it alone. And that is the quickest way for you to get picked off by your enemy. 1 Peter 5, the Bible says this, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Other people are going through it. It's not just you. Now, that's not to say that you're not special, like you're special, you have intrinsic value, but if we want a message on you being special, we'll call Pastor Eric up, okay? I'm here to tell you your problem is not special. It's knocked on a thousand people's door before you, millions of people's door before you, and it's going to knock on people's door after you. And that should bring you incredible comfort because it means some other people have kicked cancer. 
It means other people have won in their thought life. It means people have clawed their way out of poverty and made something of themselves. Don't get in your head and try to fight a spiritual battle with your thoughts. Hallelujah. Troubles and adversity are then common. Write it down. You are not alone in your distress. You're not alone. Listen to me, because even right now, you're like fighting with me in your head. Now, listen, mine is, you don't, even, you don't know, Pastor. I don't know. God knows. But he knows all, and he knows a way to get out of that junk. Say amen. And so trials don't discriminate. They're equal opportunity employers that come against every single person, and they're relatively normal. Don't think that you're a weirdo. Maybe you did do something that opened yourself up for attack. That happens a lot. But also there's a lot of people that they're doing everything right and they, they get attacked or face opposition. The devil hates your guts because you look like God. And so don't think of it as a mark of failure. Think of it as a mark of being a, a human being. Now, those are all wise and, and those are all like, okay, understanding how the trials come and that you are not alone in it. But the big question that I would have is this. Why does one person overcome when a trial knocks at their door while another person doesn't? And you've seen good people on both sides. The people that have been overtaken. It was too bad, right? And the people that have won, and you're like, yeah. And they're like, how'd you do? Stood in the promise of God. But this person was nice, too. They were good. They were godly. I mean, I've talked to people, and they, they would talk about their granny who was a praying grandma, and she was a wonder, but she died prematurely. It's not right. And so the question is, how do we do this? How do we approach these things? Because they're coming into our life. Jesus said, tribulation is coming. How do we deal with it? Write it down. Troubles and adversity overtake those who are not prepared. The Bible shows us that we can be prepared. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Daniel. It's in your Old Testament, way other side of the scripture that you're on. I want to take us to the Old Testament, uh, into Daniel chapter 3, if you could turn there. And talk to you a little bit about what's going on in this passage. It's going to blow your mind. So there is an emperor, a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And if you ever name your kid Nebuchadnezzar, I will not dedicate them at our, at our service. I just won't do it. you got to have a boundary, you know. 35 different ways to spell Ashley. I'm not dedicating Nebuchadnezzar, okay. And he's the emperor of Babylon. What's Babylon? Babylon would be modern-day Iraq and then some, a little bit bigger, but really headquartered in Baghdad, same, same place. And Nebuchadnezzar, even though that is a weird name, we still use a little bit of his name because Nebuchadnezzar, we have the czars in Russia, and even we have some czars over things in America, unfortunately. And so uh, all things being equal, this Nebuchadnezzar is a little bit of an impulsive leader. He strikes me as I read it like kind of a good guy, uh, wants to do the right thing, a little bit of a ham, uh, but he's also narcissistic, like a lot of emperors tend to be. I think that you have to be crazy to do two jobs. Number one is be a pastor. And number two is to wake up in the morning and think you could be the president. Like, I think both of them take a little bit of a, you know, like, that's a lot. And so Nebuchadnezzar's a little narcissistic, and he wants to start his own state religion. And so he commissions this multi-story tall statue and gilds it with gold. How many of y'all grew up in church and remember a felt board right now as I'm talking, okay? For those of you that don't know, this is a riot. So he's got this statue covered with gold, and he puts out this system by which in the center of the city, 
They have all these guys that are going to start playing music, and they've got guys spaced out every so often, every, every so uh, a handful of miles, so they can hear the music, and they start playing so that the whole empire can actually hear it at one time and everybody face towards this idol god and worship it. Nebuchadnezzar sets it all up and he's so happy with himself. Now during this season, Nebuchadnezzar sacked Israel and took prisoners. And most of them just became garden variety slaves. But the most sharp and learned out of all of them actually worked in the king's palace, Nebuchadnezzar's home. And Daniel was one of them. We'll also talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, we don't hear a lot about Daniel in this passage. He was there. He was accustomed to all of this. But we will hear about these three Hebrew boys. They were asked to bow down to this idol. And at the point that we start reading, they just refuse to do it. They're standing while everyone else in culture is bowing. Daniel chapter 3, if you would, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you have not served my gods or worshipped the gold image which I have set up. Verse 15, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This was the way that they would execute people, among many ways. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Guys, this is the pressure you face in your everyday life. The world is actually putting a ton of pressure on people right now to bow, and it's in the name of their idle thing that they want you to do. And they're threatening you. If you don't bow, you're going to burn. You're going to lose privileges. You're going to be a naughty boy. We're going to cancel. Cancel me, Lord Almighty. Some of y'all are so concerned about being canceled. You have 150 friends on Facebook. Get a life, okay? <laughs> they deplatform me. Well, get a life, really. I mean, but think about it. Think about it. Let's stand. And that's what these guys are doing. They're standing against all of this junk in the face, in this case, of actually being executed. You know, they will try to throw you in the fiery furnace today, but let me tell you what it looks like. It's far more sophisticated today. They're not going to outright kill you. They'll do a character assassination. They'll cancel you into oblivion and make you into the scourge of the earth. Oh, how sophisticated and civilized are we in 2022? Less so than these people. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. You know what I like about these guys? They didn't just go pop off at him and be like, you're awful and this whole thing's going to crumble. They didn't, they didn't take his inventory. They didn't prod at him. They treated him with decency and respect. And what did they say? You don't need to do this. You, we don't need to answer you. You don't need to push on this. And so they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it is the case that we need to answer you in this manner, our God whom we serve is able to deliver you, uh, deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known. To, but if not what? But if God doesn't deliver us? No. It is very admirable for somebody to say, if God saves me, I'll do it, and if God doesn't save me, I'd do it. That is admirable, but that's not what's happening here. I want you to know that. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, we have no need to answer you in this way if you want to embarrass yourself and if you don't want to embarrass yourself. Here's what they're saying. But if not, even if you're not going to make us answer, don't think that we're going to start bowing. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You did it with your hands. We see this thing as hollow. We might be country folk, but we're smarter than we look. <laughs> Come on, Comstock Park. 
verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat up that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been usually heated. Now, wait a second. He's going to heat that furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been to do the death sentence. It's never been tested. We're not going to read it just for time's sake, but it actually kills some of his guards. They get close to it while they're throwing the guys in. It kills them, okay? Let me just tell you something. Watch other people do it wrong, and you'll learn, right? When you're angry, you're going to make really dumb decisions. That's stupid. Why seven times hotter? If you really were a cruel person, let's heat it up to 50% of what it can go and roast them slow. Come on, rotisserie chicken. Tell the people, how does it feel? Bad or good, you know? I mean, but he's angry. He's full of fury. He's upset. He can't take it. So Nebuchadnezzar has these guys thrown in. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and the world will be too. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Verse 25, Look, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <sighs> Jesus Christ did not begin his existence in Bethlehem in Mary's womb. Did you know that? That's when he became a man. But God Almighty, the Trinity, existed before the foundations of the earth. And every once in a while, and scholars don't understand why, uh, theologians don't understand why, it's called a Christophany. The pre-incarnate Jesus Christ shows up in the Old Testament. He fought Jacob and whooped his butt. Come on, brazen Jesus. He did. And right now you're seeing brazen Jesus, the fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your brazen Jesus is like blazing Jesus right now, like he's in there. Here's what I love about it. The world wants to tell you if you don't bow, you're going to burn. Here's what I found. Even those people that bow end up getting put in that fire. Those men that threw them in end up getting killed themselves. It's always the henchman that gets it in the end. Mm. Gosh, I want to go places I just can't go. I need a podcast like everybody else. Anyway. Not only... Not only will he be there in the midst, he will go through hell and back to see you come in on the other side. I'm telling you, he is not content to watch his kids suffer. He's not. They wouldn't bow. So my realization is this. If you bow, you'll burn. But if you don't bow, you won't burn. And it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Because of the pressure that we all feel in this room right now. But that's not the truth. Your God will go through all of it with you. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Oh, our tone has changed, hasn't it? Come out, come out here. What? Verse 26. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, and the administrators, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair on their head was not singed nor were their garments affected. And the smell of fire was not even on them. That's so hard to do. You go to a bonfire, you're going to smell like that. you got to throw your clothes away. They smell so strong. You know what I'm talking about? I grew up in a smoker's house where both my parents smoked. Lucky strikes, baby. 
I mean, we used to sing Fly Me to the Moon and Frank Sinatra. I'm telling you, I feel like I took the trip with them. And um, <laughs> we didn't have filters. But anyway, my mother left our family when I was very, very young, and my dad decided to quit smoking that very week. And it still took me better part of a year before I could smell what it smelled like when people were smoking. You smokers in the room have no idea, but you smell like a dog. It's bad. We love you. That's why we keep you around. But listen, you smell awful. But Bible says they went into that furnace and they left the whole thing. They don't, they don't even smell like bonfire. Wow. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar speaks saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, the, the Hebrew word angel there is the same word for candle, uh, same word for star, same word for the spirit of, it's talking about the spirit of Jesus, and delivered his servants, capital H, who trusted in him. They frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any other god except their own. Dude, Nebuchadnezzar just got saved. Like, what just happened? See, not only will you survive through the fire, but I'm here to tell you that the world is watching you. And when you stand in a whole culture that's bowing down to everything, they're all afraid. I'm not afraid of any of that junk. When they're all bowing and you stand up and you come out on the other side and they know it's God, they'll run to you. They'll want to know all about it. You'll hear adversaries of you begin to say, blessed be the God. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome back. Here we are. God can turn the whole thing around. Say amen. amen. Verse 29. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar says, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. And so he's saved, but he ain't sanctified. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Here, here's the idea. The world system doesn't work. And when you stand for God's system and on the other end of the supposed fire they're going to throw you in, you're still standing. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Elton John. Any parents of kids that watch Sing 35 times a week? I'm still staying. Okay, I won't. Never know where it's going to go here on Sundays, but the fact that they didn't bow, it was so attractive to the world that they were promoted. Can you imagine your opponent promoting you? Can I put it this way? Even if they're not the ones that actively promote you, their systems don't work. You keep on standing. You can outlast them. And begin to institute the things that do work. Can I hear an amen? So Nebuchadnezzar was the skeptic that became a preacher. He starts being a mouthpiece for God. Talking about don't even speak a word against him. I mean this is like street rules. Don't talk smack about my God. You know like it's. But that's what he's putting on. That's what happens. And these Hebrew boys couldn't have taken that ground. By having 20 years of handing out tracts. And prayer meetings in Babylon. But look what God can do in one moment in the midst of a trial. Wow. And here's what I want you to see. This is the huge deal. When Satan comes, and he will, an attack happens, and it's coming. When that knocks at your door, if you'll stand in the end, you will end up further in life than you would have if the trial had never come against you in the first place. Think of it like 
like one of those old school Dennis the Menace slingshots. You feel like you're being held back and you're facing all this hardship and they're talking smack about your name and the devil thinks he can have you, but the devil is not God. His hand is not on your life. God's hand is on your life. And so when his hand releases, it actually shoots you further than it ever could have gone if the trial had never happened in the first place. And the idea is that the children of God need to be prepared to flip the tables, if you will, on the enemy. To flip the script. We're going to change the narrative. What you're doing to me, I'm going to make you feel that pain. Does that make sense? And so to advance in adversity, we need to spring the trap in our favor. Now, how do we do that? You can't get fixated on the issue that you're going through. Some of us fall into hysterics. Yeah, but I'm going through this. Yeah, but I got diagnosed. Yeah, but I got diagnosed. And you rehearse what's happening over and over, and it locks you in. Some people become hopeless. You just, you've heard too many stories about people that didn't win. You don't really have hope. And other people, ultimately, they lose their joy in the midst of all of the attack, all of the, the hardship, and they don't feel like they can go on. But if you stay consistent with God, church, if you keep on following Jesus, there will come a point in your life where your best friends will be words. And you'll stand on God's word in the worst times in your life, and you will be able to count it all joy. I want to show you how. Genesis chapter 50. The Bible says this, that the devil meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. If there's no more clarifying verse that bad things come from the devil and good things come from God, it's right there in Genesis 50. But here's what I want you to see. God meant it and the devil. What, who's meaning it? Who's bringing it on? Exactly. The devil means this attack for evil, but God is going to add different meaning to this attack. Um, he's going to, so the devil intends harm against you. God is going to, like, re-intend. Can I give you the Bible doctrine? He's going to redeem it. He's going to take the awful thing at the lowest spot and the worst and the low. Right, he's going to take that and flip the script there and redeem that. He's not going to pluck you out and get you to something else. Like, some of you just want relief. You want escape. God's not the God of escape like that. He wants to have you go through the valley of the shadow of death. Make sense? And so in this, the devil might mean evil against you. He might be knocking at your door. Knock back. Because God wants to take it and use it for his benefit. Romans 8.28. I know that my God will make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Again, it's not that everything that happens is something that we need to thank God for. I hear people say, Pastor Joe, the Bible says that we need to thank God for everything. No, it doesn't. That is a poor, poor, poor understanding of what the Scripture says. It doesn't say that in any translation. It says, thank God in everything. You might be going through a hard time, good time. You can thank Him in it, not for it. And so what God wants to do is spring the trap on the enemy. And I found, this has got to be a new one for Pastor Joe, the most peculiar scripture that I think will help us understand the mechanics of how to spring the trap, flip the table on the enemy. It's in Proverbs chapter 26. Let me read it for you. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. Now, just to comfort you, you are not the only one thinking of Looney Tunes right now at church. Anybody else got Wiley e. Coyote and, and Roadrunner in their, in their head right now? Hey, just a little aside. Every once in a while I come home and my wife is putting perverse things on the TV. I'm talking about puppy pals. I can't take it. 
I turn that off right away. We're watching old school Looney Tunes. I want TNT and anvils, okay? We need to develop a robust sense of humor, but... It's actually in Proverbs first. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on. It's, it's saying that those, those crafty little sneaky schemers that are trying to set a little trap for people... Ultimately, the trap's going to be sprung on them. You try to put a, a, a big stone up on a hill and be like, yeah, come on through, roll it down. It inevitably flattens out while a coyote or he does the accordion thing, like one or the other, right? That's what the Bible's trying to say here. It's, it, always, it always goes back on the one trying to set the trap. C.S. Lewis says it in a very poetic way. Every disability conceals a vocation. If only we can find it, which will turn the necessity to glorious gain. That's very beautiful. What is he saying? Every problem you face has an opportunity in it. Every hardship that knocks at your door, it might be veiled, it might only be in seed form, but there is an opportunity in the midst of all of that. And so there is a way out, yes, God wants to get you out of that, but more than that, and this is what's crazy, this is what's going to take a little bit of a little bit of strength is God wants you to use your pain in all of that and have it work towards your purpose. God wants you to leverage that awful situation and, and put your suffering to work for you. He didn't bring it into your life, but if you can do it in a godly way on the other end, you won't only survive, but it'll work out for your prevailing benefit and the benefit of the gospel. Write this down. To advance in adversity, to spring the trap set by the enemy, we need to turn the tables in our favor. Okay, I think about Moses. Anybody like showing your kids the Prince of Egypt movie? I love that movie. I could watch it again and again and again. Moses, if you're not uh, uh, familiar to Christian stories or Judeo-Christian stories, Moses was... Um, not born as an Egyptian, but he was accepted into the royal family, and he served in Pharaoh's household. Ultimately, Moses killed a guy and was exiled in, in so many ways. Uh, when he went out to the desert, he found family and he found relationship there and became a shepherd. When he was a shepherd, he went after a sheep and heard the voice of God. God spoke to Moses and said, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I, I want my kids out of, out of slavery, out of bondage, and you're the one to do it. You might not know this, but Moses fought him on it. Moses said, oh, no, 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 I'm not your guy. I'm not, I'm not qualified. I'm not the person to do it. And the reason is is because uh, it is read over in Scripture, but Moses was a severe stutterer, really struggled to get the point across, stumbled over his words very easily. Now think about it. God says, A, you are the guy I decided before the foundations of the earth, sends him out. And he goes to Pharaoh. If you don't know the story from the felt board at Sunday school, it's a long series of events, but, but he's able to get the children of Israel free, leads them toward the promised land. It's an incredible series of events. He ends up writing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch from a stuttering. See, the enemy put a stone there, but it was rolled back on him. I think about the Apostle Paul, and man, we have such a regard for him. He wrote most of the books in the New Testament, incredibly intelligent person, but he wasn't always that way. In fact, there was actually a time where he was killing Christians in an active way. 
He was presiding over the execution of a very educated man named Stephen. You can read about it in the book of Acts, but I'll tell you the story. Stephen was not like the disciples. See, the disciples, the Bible says they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they'd been with God. They were country boys that knew Jesus. Stephen wasn't like that. He was genius, and he was teaching things that made it so even the rabbis were converting to Christianity. Well, Paul got wind of that and presided over the execution of Stephen. Now, a lot of theologians believe, and it's my belief, that that call that was on Stephen's life, God put it right over on the man that killed him, on Saul of Tarsus. Well, God spoke to Saul and had this vision of God in that moment and ended up accepting Christ. And now you have Paul, the apostle of the Lamb at this point, who's now writing most of the New Testament, and he's doing it with boldness. See, there was, a, there was a stone there. There was a hiccup. There would be every reason for him to discount his ability to do any of those things. He killed the Christians. He persecuted them. But God's going to take that stone and roll it right back on the enemy. You killed my guy. It's the principle of one-upmanship. I'll do you one better. That guy that you had do it, he's going to be my guy. He's my preacher. Take that. Wow. I think about a story I heard of a young man, and he was uh, playing basketball. He was a teenager, 17 years old in rural Oklahoma, and he was playing the game, and uh, as the game was going, there's only so many guys on, on the team, he kind of just withdrew a little bit on the court, still kind of playing, and eventually collapsed. They went up to the little boy, the, the young man, 17-year-old, and he was struggling with breathing. It took a couple of days, but they knew it already. It was tuberculosis, and this is before there was any cure for anything like that. Well, a couple of weeks went by, and tuberculosis was just eating him. I mean, you just, you can't breathe. You can't get a breath. And he had a praying granny who knew God and heard about a preacher that was going to be having some revival services in a couple towns over. And he was setting up a tent for these revival services, and he was praying for sick people to be healed, and they were seeing miracles happen. It was amazing. And so the granny loaded him up in the back in a gurney. He was, he was on his deathbed, literally, in a gurney, and took him out there to the, to the service. Now imagine Ringling Brothers' tent way back in the day, and thousands of people inside there, and they brought him in, and a man named Smith Wigglesworth laid his hands on a young Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts that night was miraculously healed from a documented tuberculosis. I don't know if you know anything about Oral Roberts, but he had a lot to say about healing. The devil regrets the day that he ever put tuberculosis on young Oral Roberts. But still, Oral Roberts was struggling. He felt called from God to get this message out there. We take it for granted that, that people talk about the goodness of God in every small town that God can heal and do miracles. Everybody says that today. That's, that's garden variety. But in his day, it wasn't. And he was really struggling. He had the opportunity to preach in someone else's tent during a revival service. He began to preach the message, but there was a madman in the crowd who was going to kill the man that was leading the revival, but he wasn't preaching, Oral was. So he took his gun and shot it. It grazed the cheek of Oral Roberts, shot a hole through the tent. Now, similar to my church, in rural Oklahoma, everybody's packing. And so they shut that down quick. And we don't know what happened to the guy, I just am going to assume justice. But beyond all of that... <laughs> Guess what was on the front page of every newspaper from Los Angeles to New York the very next day? Young preacher Oral Roberts shot at but survived has a message that God is good 
and heals people today. The devil regrets the day he ever inspired that man to fire off a bullet at Oral Roberts every step of the way. You, you, you've got to see all of your trials, temptation, the opposite. See it in this way. There's something in here that's going to work to my advance. There's something in all of this that's going to make me come out on top. Psalm 34, what does the Bible say? Many, many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't feel like you're doing something wrong because it's knocking at your door. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How many? Them all. That is the will of your God. If you want to take issue with that, we'll say, well, God's trying to, you're taking issue with the scripture, not with me. God's will, his active will for you is that you would be delivered, but you get a vote. You get a vote in all of it. I think about Joyce Meyer, who was molested by her dad all of her childhood and even into adulthood. But later on was able to show how to forgive. She ended up baptizing her dad. And now is being used to have a message of forgiveness and wholeness beyond being abused in the most graphic and evil way. I think about the marriage conferences that Kai and I have seen. You know, I've never been to a marriage conference that was led by somebody that had a great marriage their entire marriage. It's always somebody that was fighting, and they'll go up there and tell their testament. We were fighting like cats and dogs. I hated your guts. I couldn't stand to look at you. I Googled the place to dump the body. You know, like I just, you know, God wants, <laughs> don't do that. God wants to use that guy to be the person to be like, so let me tell you how to get through it. I don't want to hear from somebody that had a patty cake the whole time. Oh, you just were in love the whole time. Perf, we never fought. You never fought. They're lying to you. That's the devil. <laughs> I think about some of the people that have done outreach ministry that have fed hungry people or clothed naked people. I think about Pastor Eric going over to Timbuk 3 Pakistan, which is beyond Timbuk 2, and feeding those kids. And I know him enough. After years of knowing him, there's a picture of him trying these shoes on these kids. And he's trying to, you know how it is when you're trying to like suck tears back in your, he's trying to hold it together. But you can see how God moved on you. But you had the taste of poverty. It takes somebody that's had to eat a little crow or Raymond, have holes in their shoes to know how good it is to be generous and be giving. I think about the people that struggled to conceive but yet have now adopted and they've leveraged what was evil into good. Some of them have conceived afterwards, but God has a testimony in all of it. I think about those people that were falsely accused of things they didn't do and how God uses them to give forgiveness to people maybe you'd never expect. I think about the guy that was raised in a single-parent home and now fixes the cars of the single moms of the church. Friend, leverage your lowest, your worst, your weakest moments for God. Do you know that Jesus, he was crucified and buried and he resurrected in the same town? Why do you think that God's going to pluck you out of the hardship that you're in? He's going to take you through all of it. And when you come out on the other end, everybody that said, well, they're not going to make it, that's not going to happen. Don't think much about them. I don't know how that, that relationship's never going to come back together. I don't know how they're going to do it. They're broke as a joke. That, that, that family's never, that, their lineage is never. And you walk out on the other side, I'm here to tell you, God's going to get the glory for all of it. And you might be crucified and buried, but you can be resurrected in the same town. Say amen, somebody. 
every trial we face is this phenomenal opportunity to connect with God, his word, and come out in victory. I read you the first part of this passage. I want to read you the second. John 16. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, part two. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know when he did it? It's not when you think that it would have been. It's on the cross that he was overcoming. What looked like his moment of defeat. What looked like every devil in hell was having their way. At the lowest, that's when he was overcoming. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that if the rulers of this age would have known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know why? They thought he was just going to die, be dead right there. They stopped the whole plan. On contraire. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that Jesus... He descended into Hades to the lowermost parts of the earth. He paid the debt for the worst sinner that when he faced off in, 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 in the lowest parts and he faced off with Satan, it was prophesied in Genesis, by the way, that this would happen. He asked for the keys to the kingdom, the authority. He reclaimed those and crushed Satan's head. In other words, the authority is now in God's hands. He ascended up into heaven and when Jesus rose from the dead friend, you rose with him. It was not just that one guy was going to raise from the dead. If the rulers of this age would have known, they wouldn't have done it. Because in that resurrection was the resurrection of billions of Christians all around the world. It was the ratification of the promise of God being put on Gentiles. That's normal people like you and me. It is the promise of Abraham, still in effect to this day, falling on my shoulders. Friend. They shouldn't have done it. If they were smart, they wouldn't have. But the devil always overplays his hand. And I've learned this in whatever I've gone through. Every death in Christ is followed by a glorious resurrection. It might look bad for you right now. They might be laughing at you. The Bible says that the wicked laugh for a season. You can be laughing right now, but on the other end of all of this, you're going to see my God be glorified. I won't bow I won't burn. I will stand up for what I believe in and for what is right. One point message today. Stand with Jesus for what's right. At the end of the trial, you'll be further ahead than if there had been no trial at all. Now look at me. Things knock at my door just as much as yours. I'm not exempt from any of this. We go through hard things. But I've gotten a little bit of... A little bit of moxie with this through working this process. And so now when opposition comes in my prayer life, I say, oh, buddy, devil, you're really rolling the dice, aren't you? You're really putting yourself out there because I'm going to win. I'm going to come out on the other side. Oh, you think you're going to hurt me with this sickness? I'm going to tell loads of people how I got well. You think you're going to affect my finances? You just wait. I'm going to bless all kinds of people. We're going to do a lot of ministry with the money that's going to come in. You can't steal from me. I count as a seed. God is for me, and who can be against me? You're rolling the dice, aren't you, devil? Because I'm going to come out on top. And so, friend, if you get this mechanism where you can find the way to flip the script on him, what will happen? You'll trust God because you'll come out on, on top. But more than just that, inevitably, 
the trial will backfire and the punishment and suffering meant for you will fall on him. You'll advance and the gospel will advance. Do you receive it? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you have not left us in this world without recourse. That, God, we can be strong in the Lord and the power of your might. That we can take our stand against the, the opposition that we face against the enemy, this world, and other people. God, right now, I pray for my church. Some people needed this message. It is like oxygen to them because they are going through an attack right now. Listen to me, friend. Don't bow. You stand up, and on the other end, God will show you right. Don't try to show yourself as, as proven or try to vindicate yourself. God will do it himself. He'll do it in a way you never could have imagined. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. God, I pray for a supernatural strength for those people that have been on the teeter-totter. Should I do this? Should I not? And they know they'd be compromising. Lord, I pray for that boldness to rise up. They can do your will. It's not hard. The hardest part is deciding, God, I'm for you. Lord, I pray for my church right now that, God, if there's something that they got to do, a next step they need to take, that you'd bubble that up. God, let them know what that is beyond a reasonable doubt. Let, let them know what they got to do. Lord, if there's somebody they got to they gotta contact and ask for forgiveness or forgive, I pray for a boldness that they would be willing to do all of that. Lord, I pray that those that are in the midst of a trial in their marriage, God, I pray that you can bring back all the years that were eaten and bring back love into all of that, and you can resurrect and breathe life into dead things. God, I pray for men to rise up with the Jesus of their home to the best of their ability. God, I pray for strife and envy and division to seize there's a spirit of comparison on this generation. God, I speak against that in the life of my people, that they'd stop comparing themselves to their parents or their coworkers or their friends or their family and only try to reconcile their life to who you've called them to be. Some people in the sound of my voice, God, they're prisoners to their own expectations and they're running themselves ragged. I don't need an enemy. I have an enemy within so, God, I pray for a boldness that people would forgive themselves in this room. God's standard is good enough. You don't have to raise the standard. Lord, I thank you for freedom. Freedom. God, I pray that for some of the people that are going through something real, I'm a real opposition right now, and they're hearing me talk about there's some veiled opportunity. God, show them what it is. Show them what that thing is that they can blow up, that they can run after, that they can use for your glory, that in the end they can come out ahead and have your glory be shown. God, I thank you for endurance. My church needs endurance to stand. God, I thank you that we're not going to put it all on us. We're going to cast our care on you because you care for us. We're not going to carry this load alone. God, we're going to make decisions in the power of your spirit. And that's where freedom is. Guys, I just want to take a second. I know we're a couple minutes over. I want to let the Holy Spirit just speak to people in the room. So if you're all right with it, you can lift a hand, lift your hands down. Just keep your eyes closed in a reverent moment.
God wants to talk to his kids. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You don't need to listen to me, but listen to God. God hasn't brought you this far to dump you. He's faithful to his kids. He's loyal. He's good. There's no variation, shadow turning. He didn't bring the evil into your life. Resolve that in your heart. Because you've got to trust him now. God, we release those people that did us wrong. We release them right now in the name of Jesus. We forgive them not because it even makes sense in our head, but God, we forgive them in your power. rising, bubbling up, liberty. That's all. God, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them, sir, in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just one more minute. If you came into this room today and you say, Pastor Joe, I don't have a relationship with God. The only way to find that relationship with God is through Jesus. There's not a lot of ways to God. There's one. But God sent his son and made a way where there seemed to be no way, and he made a way for you. And friend, if you call Jesus Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. That means that that's eternal life, yes, when we die, but it's avoiding a Christless hell. And maybe even more than that, that freedom that you need to walk in, it's available today in Jesus' name. It's found by making him Lord over your life. You call him Lord. What does that mean? It means that you're done being the Lord or God over your own life, and you're ready to yield it to the God that made you. If that's you in this place, we're going to pray. If you mean it from the bottom of your heart, you'll be saved. If you say this like it's poetry, friend, you'll leave the same way you came in. But I sense in my heart that there's people here today that are ready to make this decision for Jesus. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, church, pray this out loud with those people praying it for the first time. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.
The reason why we go buck wild when people do that is because you just made things right with God, and I'm going to tell you something. We know what's on the other end of that. God is good, and he's for you, and you're going to be able to experience the freedom that we talked about here today. Now, we do want you to tell somebody about it. We're not going to call you down to the front and embarrass you. There's public things like baptism. There's private things like this moment of ministry. You say, Pastor Joe, that was awkward. I've been waiting for that all week long. Don't let it be awkward. God was doing his thing in many people's hearts and lives today. But if you did accept Christ, let us know about it. You can fill out that connection card that we described earlier in the service. You can come down if you'd like once we dismiss and pray with someone. But ultimately, God has big things for your life. We want to send you a note talking about that, the least of which is to fill out a connection card and let us know about that decision. If you came with somebody today and they accepted Christ, get them. Get them to fill out that card because you know the great things that are in store for them. Church, one more time, let's give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Louder than that, come on, death to life, come on, Jesus. Stand up on your feet. Did y'all get anything out of today? I'm glad that you did. A couple of quick announcements. Go team, go grab your t-shirts. We have free t-shirts for everybody on the go team. If you grab one of those and you're not on the go team, you stole it, but you have absolution, my son. Enjoy it. New Chapel Connect is after service today. Communion is going to be on January 23rd. Don't miss that. That's always a special time here at New Chapel. And then we're having our prayer meeting on Thursday, January 27th at 6.30. Now, I haven't done a great job in explaining what this actually is going to be. It, it really, for many of us, is going to feel like a night of worship. There's going to be eight songs that night in the middle. We're going to be taking some intensive uh, uh, time of prayer. I'll be leading that. If you come from a very reserved background like I did, you're going to feel comfortable. Believe me, I have catered this whole thing with you in mind. If you are like Holy Ghost, you wish we had a flag ministry here at New Chapel, you will feel comfortable at the service, and we're going to do some work for Jesus in the time that we have. But here's what I'm asking. Typically, prayer meetings are the lowest attended church services that a church offers. I think we ought to be a church that's countercultural, and I think we ought to pack this place on Thursday. Yeah, come on. Thursday, January 27th. I'll see you there. And then finally, we have a Super Bowl party coming up on February 13th at 6 o'clock. Uh, there'll be a chip dip uh, contest. There'll be a chili cook-off. If you think you bad and you want to sign up for either one of those or more, go to guest services and let us know that you're coming. And if you just showed up with Chip Dip, we will not stop you at the door. But uh, please do make plans to come for that night. We'll be watching the game on the big screens. It's a full family event. You can bring everybody. We'll have a riot together. Y'all give it up for my beautiful bride. Babe, why don't you come up here and pray for the people? The reason why we take opportunity to preach messages like we did today is because we've been through it, and we've been out on the other end not even smelling like smoke. You can do it too. We love you. We're for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, as you go, see you next weekend.